We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service, like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dork. You're listening to the Uncontested What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomtownHoops.com. I'm your host for the evening, Jacob. I've got Nick Crane along with me tonight. I'm the only uncontested member here besides you. I finally get the first intro. I love it. Yep. Hey, it's the first time for everything, Nick. We are joined tonight on a special edition of the Uncontested by Kevin McCormick and Jack Connell. Kevin is a 76ers insider for 97.3 ESPN. He is the editor of Sports Talk Philly, and he is the co-host of the Process to Progress podcast. Jack uh, is also a co-host of the Process to Progress, good Lord, podcast, and he also writes at the Liberty Line. Gentlemen, how's it going? It's doing great, man. It's good to be back. It's fun talking some some off-season stuff. Glad to be here. Feeling good. Thank you for having me, and I'm ready to talk some Sixers, talk some Thunder, all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. So uh, we will dive right into this. First, before we do, though, I got to ask you guys, Nick and I talked about this on Sunday, but we are recording this right as we are approaching halftime of game one of the NBA Finals. 
I just got to know, what are your guys' opinions on this finals? Who do you have winning and in how many games? My pick is I got the Lakers in seven. I think this is going to be a fun series. I think it has the potential to be a chess match of which team's going to get the other to play their game, whether it's the Lakers trying to stay big and forcing Miami to put like a Kelly Olenek or a Myers Leonard next to Bam Adebayo to combat their size, or if Miami can use their wing depth and their skill to force Anthony Davis to play at the center and make them kind of play their, their faster, smaller game. I think it's going to be a good one, but Lakers in seven, LeBron James finals MVP. I had Lakers, but I had them in six. I really thought this was going to be a big series of Bam Adebayo was really going to be on Anthony Davis and kind of shut him down and kind of make LeBron James work his magic along with Danny Green and the other shooters on this team, and they would eventually overcome Miami. But Anthony Davis has done pretty good so far, so I might change that to Lakers in five, to be honest. Nick, you had Lakers in five, right? Yep, I I just knew. I mean, it's, it's early. This game could com- completely turn around, but... With how good Braun and AD have been, we all know there's a different level to Braun. I mean, I just don't see a world where Miami has the firepower. They they've had a lot of a lot of luck to get here. A lot of guys, Jay Crowder's had some crazy series. Like, it would take a lot to go their way. Oh yeah, and I mean the Lakers got KCP, man. What could go wrong? And Alex Caruso. Alex, oh. man, we were talking about this the other day. Whenever Alex Caruso and Tyler Hero are guarding each other, Bleacher Report is going to have like a wet dream. Former <laughs> former Thunder G League star Alex Caruso. Oh yeah, I believe he's also oh, yeah. a former Sixer uh, G League star as well, or he was a Summer Sixer, something like that, right, Jack? I think he was a Summer Sixer. I don't think he ever was on the Blue Coats or 87ers. I think he was a Summer League guy. So has the Philly G League team changed its name? Um, they used to, they did a couple years back, I feel like maybe two or three years ago, they used to be the Delaware 87ers and they changed it to the Blue Coats. Well, back in the, back in the day, um, I remember as a kid growing up in Tulsa, we had the Tulsa 66ers. I don't think it's related though. (laughs) No, the Tulsa 66ers were the blue before they rebranded, right? Yeah. 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 It was, it was a joke. It was a joke. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Over my head, Nick. It's been a long day. All right, well, let's dive into some Philly talk, guys. First, I want to know, so we talked to you all prior to the bubble uh, about the the feeling of Philly going into the bubble that, you know, they were going to be healthy, whereas if the season had never gone on hiatus, Ben Simmons was looking like he was going to be out for a while, but they were coming in healthy, ready to go. Um, The idea of it basically being like a mini offseason where guys like Tybull could could progress a little bit more and come back even better. Originally, back this time last year, I had Philly playing in the finals. Um, obviously, that did not go as planned. So what is the the feeling around Philadelphia, around the fandom, now that the season is over, uh, the bubble is over, you're, you're on a coaching search? What, what's kind of the feeling of the fans moving into the offseason and next year? Well, if you haven't experienced Sixers Twitter, it is a frenzy 24-7, no matter how good or bad the team is doing. So it's never a dull moment there, but it's definitely one of reflection and just kind of figuring out how to connect the dots. Just because even, you know, along with you, how you had them in the finals, a lot of people had them in the finals. Before the season started, it was looked at as the Sixers having one of the most premier starting lineups in the NBA. So for them to be swept in the first round, you know, the vibe definitely is, you know, disappointment and that that sense of underachievement because of exiting the first round the way they did. But 
at the end of the day, there's still that beacon of hope just because, you know, you have two great cornerstones in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just looking. It was a lot of, like Kevin said, a lot of anger because you're looking at the Eastern Conference Finals just occurred, and you had your biggest rival who you just got swept by in Boston, and then the one you let go and Jimmy Butler facing off, and now Butler's obviously in the NBA Finals. So it's really, I mean, NBA Twitter, it's very much, they're calling for the heads of everybody really currently. They got Brett Brown. They want a lot of the front office going, a lot of overturn. I mean, the, you look at head coaching, everybody's kind of torn on who they want as a head coach. And they just want overall change. But I think the main stasis is they, there's hope in Ben and Joel and majority of the population wants to keep them there and build around them. Perfect. Yeah, that's what, I, what my next question I wanted to ask was is obviously, and I don't want to put words in, in Phillies fans' mouths, but the season seems like it was a disappointment. And where where does the blame lie? Is it solely in coaching? Is it solely in the front office? Is it on the players? How was that blame divided up for a, a season that, like, like you said, a lot of people thought Philly was going to be a lot better uh, than they ended up performing? Yeah, I think it, it's one of those, it goes all the way around. It's not just one issue. I mean, obviously, Brett had a tough time adjusting in that Boston series, which caused them a little bit of their woes. And then, obviously, the main one is that front office. I mean, we saw almost from the beginning that the Al Horford fit with the Sixers never really looked great. So the fact that they rolled the dice with that and it didn't pan out anywhere close to the way they expected, the, the blame just needs to go all the way around. Obviously, it's hard to kind of count on the players just because, you know, there was injury woes. It's hard to blame Ben Simmons for not being there for the Sixers in the playoffs when he didn't get the chance to play due to injury. But to to say it's it's one issue wouldn't really be the case. I would say there's a lot of fingers that need to be blamed. And obviously some people have already taken the fall as we've seen as Brett Brown being relieved of his head coaching duties. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Kevin said, the blame goes all the way around. I mean, front office, the moves they made in terms of Tobias Harris's contract and Al Horford, that signing. So that was a lot of blame on there. Brett Brown's refusal to adjustment. And then he also kind of lost the locker room back in the original middle of the season. It's what it seemed. And it was pretty, embarrassing i don't know if you guys remember but it was pretty much they lost nearly any game on the road and then had to win at home because the fans held them accountable it was the only time they ever felt accountable but i mean in terms of players i mean you look at the stars going into the playoffs we really there isn't much blame on ben or joel because ben obviously he got hurt but he was showing improvement starting to shoot more was playing really solid and joel Embiid kind of carried the sixers as much as he could putting up almost about 30 and 15 a game in the in all four games against boston he was really doing anything he can to make them move past, but everybody else kind of around them collapsed. No, definitely. Um, it's uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you know, like like Kevin mentioned, there was a rolling of the dice on a lot of personnel decisions that now, in hindsight, don't look like they were really the the, the best decisions. And I think we're going to get into that whenever we get into some of this this trade st- trade talk stuff. Um, let's pivot and talk about one of those other points of contention, which is coaching. Obviously, Philly has moved on from Brett Brown. Uh, some reporting today from Woj that it sounds like a decision for the Philly coaching position should be announced as early as the end of this week, just a couple of days away. Uh, and it sounds like it's down to D'Antoni and Rivers. What is the thought process? Obviously, D'Antoni runs a very specific style of system. Uh, Doc Rivers now out with the Clippers, apparently has interviewed and is meeting with ownership, I think tonight maybe, if I'm remembering that report correctly. 
What are you guys' thoughts on, on the coaching search? Who do you want them to end up with? Uh, and what direction do you think they're going to go? My main guy from the beginning has been Ty Lue. And um, I'm still holding on the hope that they can retain him. Obviously, Doc being uh, that news of Doc Rivers being fired kind of shocked the NBA world and definitely opens up a premier candidate. But D'Antoni is interesting, but he's only interesting if the Sixers are going to go all in with him. And my kind of thought process with that as well with him is, you know, when you're bringing on a coach, you want the coach to fit the team. You don't try and make the team to fit the coach, if that makes any kind of sense. Oh, yeah. But, but Doc Rivers is interesting. I mean, he, he's hoisted the trophy in 08 with Boston. He has the regular season and postseason success that you would like in a head coaching candidate. And he's done well, you know, kind of creating winning cultures in multiple stops, whether, you know, it was in Boston or the Lob City Clippers. He, he's had that success doing that. And the Sixers need a much-needed culture change. And Doc definitely is a guy who has, you know, the pedigree and the resume to kind of win a locker room and be able to instill that kind of culture in this young group. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of like what Kevin said, I feel like, I, I mean, I'm honestly between, I'd be between Doc Rivers and Tyloo. It's honestly been pretty close, but I've honestly leaned towards Doc Rivers more of recent. I like Mike D'Antoni. I think he's a great coach, but I just don't think he fits Ben and Joel at all. And I feel like it, it would be at a point where you would have to choose between one of them to make D'Antoni's offense work. And I don't think that's what I would want to do is with the Sixers at all. I mean, if you look at the rest of the guys that they have, I mean, you're going to see Tobias Harris, who's worked with Doc Rivers this past season, was nearly an all-star in the Western Conference. And you also see he has a relationship with Chris Paul from Oklahoma City, who might be a possible trade target for the Sixers. He's had experience working with stars in the past, going as far back Tracy McGrady in Orlando, obviously the Boston group, the Lob City Clippers, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. He has a lot of rapport with those kind of guys, and he would know what it takes to untap that next level of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So I honestly, I would be all in on Doc Rivers at this point. I would like Ty Lue, but I honestly think, like Wojnarowski said, he's out of the race, and he's probably going to L.A. or Houston. I have heard that Doc Rivers, I know there's a uh, a lot of stuff going around that he's with the Clippers uh, kind of front office right now, or the uh, Sixers front office right now, uh, watching game one of the NBA Finals, and I've heard he is supposed to get a formal offer uh, sometime tonight, and it's going to come down to whether Rivers takes the offer or not. So I think it's in Rivers' hands whether he wants the job or not. Yeah, at this point, it, it really is looking that way, that if, if he wants it, it's there to take. But, I mean, there was a time where, I mean, there were reports coming out that it was Dan Tony's job to lose, and then in the beginning it was the, the mutual ties between Lou and the Sixers. So, I mean, the narratives constantly change. So I feel like it's honestly one of those things where it's not going to be over until it's over, and I feel like multiple camps are kind of playing chess to see who they can land and, you know, the years and the money, all that's going to come into play. But it, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I think like a lot of the big holdup before was contract negotiations. I think that's why Ty Lue never ended up getting the job. It was a stalemate at that point. So I think, it, yeah, the money and obviously with ownership with the Sixers, it's really not – they're very stingy. So you got to hope that they would end up paying these guys. You're not going to lose them over a couple million dollars. Yep, uh, I'm, I'm totally with you guys. And, and, you know, you guys had mentioned Chris Paul being a guy that the Clippers – or the – I don't know why I keep saying the Clippers. Um, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers could potentially trade for. Um, in your opinion, just watching the team, covering the team, what kind of assets does Philly actually have? And, you know, outside, you know kind of 
bolting onto that, what assets are actually up for trade? You know, taking out the guys that you would say are untouchable. Like if you were in the Philly front office, like who are the top assets that you're actually willing to move uh, in order to, to get this team to the point they need to be to? Well, the Sixers have premier veteran big man Al Horford, who can still be a key piece on a championship team per Elton Brand. That team should be chomping at the bit for. So I feel like he is the premier guy that OKC may look to pair with SGA for a nice pick-and-pop combination. But outside of Horford, I mean, you look at a guy— You should be Al Horford's uh, agent, the uh, way you pitch him like that. Listen, I— (laughs) A big Al Horford guy over here, apparently. He's, you know, if OKC needs their chocolate milk supply, that, that's Al Horford's role in his lane that he can help with that young core. But outside of Horford, I would say, you know, maybe OKC is enticed by a guy like Zaire Smith, who's still young and on a cheap deal, and in that kind of system in OKC, he could grow naturally on the NBA scale. There's, you know, that pick 21 that would be given back to OKC in this situation, and a plethora of second-round picks if... OKC was really looking to build on that. And then there's also the, I guess, last resort for the Sixers would be guys like Shake Milton and Matisse Seibel where, you know, they're enticing young talents, but it would really be kind of a stalemate, I guess, at the end for Philly to part with one of those guys. Hey, uh, Nick went to high school with Shake Milton, I think. Is that correct, Nick? Yeah, I grew up living in the same neighborhood as Shake, played basketball with him. He was on varsity as a freshman, so I, he's two years younger than me, so I played with him for a couple of years uh, before I graduated and actually drove him home from practice every day since we live in the same neighborhood and he couldn't drive. So got a got a good relationship with Shake. <laughs> it's, it's awesome to see what he's done. Uh, but he's definitely a guy, you know, both – both him and Tybal, like, and there's a lot of guys like this in Oklahoma City too. That I think the front office of both respective teams are higher on them than any other team around the league. So it's hard to see a guy like that get traded just because the value that the front office sees is not going to match what other front offices see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at the Sixers guys. I mean, I think. Zaire Smith's a name that kind of gets mentioned, but he often gets the short end of the stick, which feels kind of bad for him. I mean, I don't know if you guys are aware, he had a sesame allergy his rookie season, and that kind of, it was nearly life-threatening, and he lost a lot of muscle, a lot of what he had, so he's working back towards that. So he's, I think he's only 20, 21 years old. He's practically a rookie. He's barely played, and he's gone through a lot. So, I mean, he's a project, but I think he could definitely benefit from a team like Oklahoma City. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like everybody besides Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid is pretty much somewhat on the table in trade negotiations. Tobias Harris might be the next one down. And then obviously you don't want to move Shake Milton or Matisse Tybel, but if push comes to shove, I'm sure they would probably be included in trade talks for a guy like Chris Paul. Interesting. I wanted to ask you guys, you mentioned Tobias Harris there. Obviously every time trade talks come around with Philly, it always centers around Al Horford. I, I, I assume to you guys the Al Horford contract is more of an albatross than what Tobias Harris is owed. Um, is that accurate, or, or are those two close at all? Because Al Horford's last year, if I'm not wrong, isn't fully guaranteed. Is that right? Yeah, the back end gets tricky where it could go anywhere. Like His end total could be anywhere from like 92. To, I think it can get high as 108, but hopefully he's not in Philly to, to rake in that kind of money. But yeah, I believe that that last, that back end of that deal gets very tricky with how high it could potentially go. But I, I'm a big Tobias Harris guy. So I say their contracts are not the same. I think 
Tobias Harris is a, can still be a good third option on a contending team, and obviously his playoff performance wasn't great, but he was also inserted to where he kind of had to be the running mate with Joel Embiid. So I think seeing him in that proper role like we saw in the regular season where he was just kind of that guy that's going to go get a quiet 20 every night, I think he should still be a piece here, and I'm not in on swapping Tobias Harris for anybody at this point with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of. Kevin's kind of been a big Tobias Harris guy for point. He's always been a big defender of Tobias every season. I mean, you obviously they're both overpaid, but Tobias has given you twenty uh, twenty points per game a night. He's a solid option or third option to Ben and Joel. He really kind of does everything you need from a wing. Obviously, at a high contract, but it's really you were kind of stuck at a point where you had to give it to him, and he had all the leverage. So I mean, it sucks that they had the goods to that point, but I, I mean. He's definitely, his contract is very high, but he fits with what they need. And his playoff woes have been concerning, but you got to hope that there's some room for adjustment on that going forward. And like Kevin said, he's kind of thrown in the second option there if Joel Embiid without Ben Simmons. That kind of could have thrown a wrench into things, but you definitely want to see improvement on that in the next playoffs going forward. I feel like one of the things that Philly probably needs to do, and and you guys are going to have way more of an insight on this than I, so that's why I'm throwing it out to you. It feels like Tobias needs to play the four. Like, he, he has to play the four. Is Ben Simmons, uh, under whoever the new coach is, is he going to play the one? Or, I mean, we saw him playing like some some point forward um, in in the bubble. Is, is that an option? Like, where do – because I don't know if you can play – like, say, whenever we do these hypothetical trades, Chris Paul does end up in Philly. Can you play Tobias at the three and Ben at the four and be successful with Chris Paul on that team? Or, like, like how... how it, it feels like there's an overload at the four position, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And and how does Philly remedy that moving forward? It's, it's weird if you think about it. Like how you brought up with Ben Simmons kind of becoming that point forward in the bubble. You could make a case that Tobias Harris was technically playing the four when they were in the bubble prior to the Ben Simmons injury just because there's two forward positions. So, I mean, calling Ben a point forward and with the versatile defender that he is, you really could technically call him a three in a sense and put Tobias in, I which agree is his natural position at the four. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, if they do go and get a guy like Chris Paul, Chris Paul is obviously going to be your starting point guard. So figuring out that forward situation is going to be, you know, one thing that's going to be need to talk about and addressed, you know, so it's paving off by the time next season starts. But I think, yeah, that, you know, you do need to modernize the team and go a little smaller and get Tobias more in that natural position just because he creates more offensive mismatches when he's at that position as opposed to being defended by kind of smaller wing threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the one quote I saw today, I mean, in terms of who they would go head coaching position-wise, um, Doc Rivers, I forget what point it was asked. He was asked about Ben Simmons and Joel Beattie, kind of compared it to Magic Johnson and Kareem. So, I mean, kind of talking about Ben as being the playmaker and everything. So, I feel like he would still, I mean, I'm taking a huge grain of salt, but I mean, I would see, assume he would be the point guard unless a Chris Paul was brought in. I mean, if you're talking about Tobias at the four, obviously he's much better there. And kind of as Kevin said, forward positions kind of go hand in hand. And Ben is just automatically assumes the power forward because he's taller. But I mean, like you said, I mean, Ben's kind of being able to shoot a little bit more, which allows Tobias to kind of work around a bit. So if Ben continues to shoot more, you can kind of put him out there if Chris Paul's handling the ball or Tobias and allow Tobias to have some more room to work if needed in certain possessions. So, I mean, it's... He would probably thrive. He would definitely thrive best in a power forward spot. But I feel like they would mesh. I feel like the best comparison 
to the offense would be what they had early on in the bubble with Shake Milton and Ben Sims both out there, but just replace Shake with Chris Paul. Not to completely crap on your question here, Jacob. Uh, I think the league is to a point where it's so positionless that I don't care if you call Ben Simmons the one, the two, the three, the four, even the five in, in the starting lineup. I I think you can play Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons together in a situation where you have a guy like Chris Paul at point guard. Like it's not going to matter realistically where he's playing on the court. He's still going to bring the ball up some. We saw that a lot this year. Even if Chris Paul's on the floor, he was fine with Dennis Schroeder or SGA bringing the ball up. Um, I think Ben Simmons always has the question of, is he a true point guard? Should they play him at the four? Like, can they play him at the three and be successful? Like, I think he's good enough and, and can thrive regardless of where you put him at position X. Like as long as he's on the floor, it doesn't really matter in my opinion. Yeah. And having, I mean, although Ben Simmons doesn't shoot very much and you know, I, I think whatever new coach comes in, is going to encourage Ben to, to keep shooting the ball, increasing his range, et cetera, to have him out there with another high quality point guard who can play make, Having, I, I feel like the league is trending towards not only perimeter-based basketball, but high IQ, good passing basketball. And if you could have a guy like Ben and Chris Paul on the same team, there's not very many offensive possessions where you're going to end up getting a bad shot. And that's, uh, I, 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 th- I think that's huge, right? I think that's absolutely huge. Absolutely. With the, the emphasis on perimeter play, you, can, you can't have enough playmakers on the floor. So, I mean, to have two guys in that kind of... St- that IQ to run on the floor together would be has the potential to be immaculate basketball. Even if you think about it from a pick and roll sense, I mean, outside of you know Bam Adebayo, what role man has the IQ and passing ability of a guy like Ben Simmons? So when you bring in a playmaker and floor general like Chris Paul, it allows Ben Simmons to explore his game in new ways, and you can kind of see him grow and and take that next step into becoming you know legit superstar in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing you saw when Ben Simmons first kind of came in the league, it seemed like he needed to be the point guard. Like, that's what he wanted. He wouldn't. He really wasn't open to trying other things. And as his career has gone forward, especially during the bubble, he kind of had less of an ego and was willing to kind of part with that. And again, it's opened up his game a lot more. You're seeing him work off ball. I mean, and now defenses are sagging off him. Now he's working his jump shot a little bit to hit that, adding a, adding a shot to his game and also helping to space the floor outside of him that he doesn't need to handle the ball. And it, it, I feel like he would work perfect like how Chris Paul. I mean, you said Chris Paul kind of was able to be a main ball handler, and he also let Schroeder and SGA kind of do their things. So I feel like that would also work hand-in-hand with what Simmons does. And, I mean, granted, he's not as much of an offensive threat on the perimeter as those guys. I think he's starting to add that to his game and can kind of help change the game in him for a sense. I mean, he's lethal in pick rolls, or can be if he does them more often. And his playmaking, he's able to find guys over with ease. And as you've seen, he's not really much of a shot, taking his own kind of shot guy. So he's probably more lenient to trying to find the best option instead of scoring for himself. I'm into it. Well, guys, let's get down to it. Let's uh, let's make some trades. Let's, let's discuss through these and see what we can make happen. Uh, before we do that, though, we want to take a quick moment and tell our listeners about the sponsors for this week's episode. You've counted on restaurants. Now, they're counting on you. And while the dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. 
And ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, or you can get some of that Cheesecake Factory. God, Cheesecake sounds so good. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. You just got to enter the code BLUEWIRE. Again, that's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the app and enter the, co- the code, all one word, BLUEWIRE. Again, one more time, BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on all of the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all of these great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one, one, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, guys, let's get down to making some trades. And this means I get to play my favorite sounder on our entire podcast as soon as I find it. Here it is. Here we go. I'll trade you my level two magic card for your Charizard. Deal. It's a disaster. Take trading, disaster. Okay. Kevin and Jack, let's start off. So you guys are going to represent the Philly front office. Nick and I will represent the Oklahoma City front office. God bless all of our souls. People on Twitter are going to get angry at us. Before we fire this up, I want you guys, as the Philly front office, to make the pitch to us on why we should give Chris Paul up to you, like why we should be interested in your assets. That's tricky. Um, Let's see. (laughs) For starters, uh, Al Horford's cap hit is... A lot less than Chris Paul's, even though you'll be stuck with him for one more year. Obviously, as Steven Adams gets ready to expire, you might want another veteran big around those young guards. Like I said earlier, the pick-and-pop potential of you know an Al Horford and SGA combo would be very enticing. You can add on to the plethora of first-round picks that you already have from previous deals, and the Sixers have a good amount of second rounds that they could tack on as well to kind of sweeten the deal to get Chris Paul in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to tack on onto that, Al Horford, I don't think was properly utilized with Joel Embiid. And if you look at what he did in Boston, he's still pretty serviceable outside of having another seven-foot center on the court with him. So I just think he would definitely flourish. I mean, he might share the court with Adams, but I feel like he would have a better shot than the rest of this roster. There's not a Ben Simmons in Oklahoma City. And again, a lot of draft capital, a lot of second-round picks. 
the draft is getting deeper these past few years. Second round picks are more and more likely to hit. And then we have a pick, your pick in the 20s that you can get a solid guy right there. You get a Tyrell Terry. Nick, I want you as uh, as our Oklahoma City Brain Trust. Let's make our pitch. Why should the Philly 76ers want Chris Paul? It's pretty simple. Um, assuming you want to keep Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid around, you're going to have to make moves now. And obviously that puts Philly in a tricky situation where um, – they, they probably don't want to bring in long-term salary and older players, but you also don't want to have the chance of losing Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid uh, in the next few years. You don't want them to demand a trade. Obviously, your your fan base is pretty upset with what happened last year, so um, Philly doesn't have a ton of leverage in any trade for Chris Paul. It obviously helps that they're giving up a guy like Al Horford, who just clearly didn't fit the system. So it's pretty simple. You take on a guy like Chris Paul, who's a future Hall of Famer, top five point guard of all time, second team All-NBA last season. All you have to do is give up uh, a first-round pick or two or a combination of a first-round pick and a young, promising player. So uh, really, it it benefits both sides. You get a, a star in Chris Paul. You keep your young superstars and Embiid and Simmons happy. You have a real chance at contending with a a real point guard that can run the team and try something new with Simmons not being your ball-dominant point guard. And then the Thunder, obviously, are going to continue to pile on draft and young assets. So it it makes sense for both sides. Oklahoma City has a leverage. Let's make a deal. Yeah, and I would would add to that uh, two things. Number one, you are not going to find a better leader as a player in the entire league maybe save LeBron James than Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul is not going to only come in and be a high-quality basketball player. He is going to bring veteran leadership and accountability to that locker room. If you have worries about Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid not getting along, or you have worry about them um, not taking the game as seriously as they need to, um, maybe Ben needs, or sorry, not Ben, but Joel needs to uh, you know, take his body more seriously, There is nobody that is going to be a better leader of young men than Chris Paul. Also, I don't know if anybody in the league is stopping a Chris Paul, Joel Embiid pick and roll. Those two will average 1.8 points per possession in in pick and roll possessions between the two of them. That is literally going to be unstoppable. Yeah, there there's a lot to like about Chris Paul and Philly. It also gives the Sixers kind of a late game perimeter go to guy, which is something that they missed greatly this year. So I mean the fit on both sides definitely is there in terms of OKC being able to kind of rack up some assets along with taking on the Al Horford contract, which could potentially not look as bad in an OKC system where he could play more center and kind of play his natural game as opposed to be to being stuck next to a true five. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And hey, you, you spoke of Chris Paul being a late game wing. Uh, most clutch scorer in the NBA this past season. Highest plus minus in the clutch this postseason or this past season. Uh, you want a guy that can win you a close game? You want Chris Paul. Just saying. Okay, so guys, let's uh, let's start putting some deals together. We'll, we'll obviously start with the Chris Paul one, uh, but I want to flirt with maybe a couple others as well. I think this has to all center around what we've already talked about, Chris and Al Horford. 
Now, the difference in salary there is about $14 million. So we have to have more salary coming back over from the Philly side. Uh, what are we looking at? I'm assuming Philly is going to hold on to Josh Richardson. He's probably not going to be part of this deal since the Thunder are going to want to get um, picks and, and, and young promising players back in return. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty spot on. I don't know if you would like to part ways with Al Horford and Josh Richardson for one guy just because there is still the exploration of potentially upgrading from Josh Richardson as well. So to use kind of both of those as capital in one deal might not be what the Sixers look to do this offseason. That makes sense. Um, so then who's the next player we're looking to just to make salaries match here? Uh, are we, we throwing like a Mike Scott in here? Definitely. Yeah, you could try, you know, kind of pairing Mike Scott and maybe Zaire Smith there in place with that. That gives you around close to nine mil, which is pretty much what you'd be getting from Josh Richardson. And then outside of that, it gets kind of tricky because you have Matisse Thibel at 2.7 and Shake at 1.7. So basically, in terms of going just off salaries, pretty much right off the top, you're talking Al Horford, Zaire Smith, and Mike Scott. Okay, so so let's start with that. Al Horford, three years left on his deal. Mike Scott, one year. Zaire Smith, two years. Um, the that current construction actually saves the Thunder about five and a half million dollars, which I think Nick we're pretty interested in, right? Yep, we're we're shaving some salary there now. Zaire Smith is interesting to me, but I'm not sure how much we actually value him because he hasn't really played much basketball. He is young. We like that. He is a wing. We like that. He cannot be the, he cannot be the, the piece that the entices asset, the yes. Thunder. Correct. Um, so he he's kind of, I think, a net neutral to us. Saving the cap space uh, is nice, although we are sacrificing immediate cap relief uh, with, with that $5.5 million for longevity in that Al Horford contract. Um, I think the big thing we want back here, Nick, is a pick. Yeah, and, and this could be just me thinking through, like, this is not the Chris Paul that was the Chris Paul last season or last offseason in which Houston had to dump picks to get him off. This is a Chris Paul that I think multiple teams will be interested in. And this is second team All NBA Chris Paul. Yes. And we know Sam Presti, if he doesn't love the deal, he has no problem writing out Chris Paul into next season and trading him throughout this season or at the trade deadline where he's going to be even more enticing with quite a few million that the, the team he's being traded to doesn't have to pay him. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Like this isn't, um, oh, the Thunder save five million and get a young guy and and a decent pick. Like I don't think that moves the needle the needle for Presti. So if 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 we're basing it off of Mike Scott, Al Horford, um, Zaire Smith, I don't know if the twenty twenty uh, number twenty one over overall pick is a pick that moves the needle. I think it may have to be a future pick. Yeah, and hey, s- speaking of this. Uh, I don't know, Kevin and, and Jack, if you guys know this or not. Uh, you guys are getting that Thunder pick via the Jeremy Grant trade, right? <laughs> um, the Thunder have Denver's 25th overall pick this season because of the Jeremy Grant trade. So the Thunder essentially got, what, three years of Jeremy Grant, uh, and all they had to do was move four spots back in the 2020 draft. Unreal. Pretty, uh, 
Pretty nice for Sam Presti. Yeah, Nick, I think I'm with you. Um, I, I think what we're going to ask, and obviously this is, uh, I mean, we, we can barter back and forth on this. I think what we want is throw us that 2020 second rounder that you guys have from Atlanta and then throw us your 2021 first rounder. Uh, we're even okay. Nick, are we okay with making that top 10 protected? Yeah, totally fine. Because the, I don't the think Sixers are going to be good enough. Protected. Sixers are going to be good enough. It's not going to matter if it's top ten protected. So sure, I, agreed. I think if if you guys are running a team with a big three of Chris and Bede and Ben, uh, you're not going to have to worry about being in the top ten in the draft. So we'll make that pick top ten protected just in case um, injuries happen or whatever. Uh, so it's looking at Chris Paul for Zaire, Mike Scott, Al Horford, the Hawks 2020 second rounder which I think is going to be pretty high. Um, I mean, it's already set. I don't know what number it's yeah, at, but it's I like got to be. It's one of the it th- 33 or 35. I think those are their first two second rounders. Okay, sweet. So we we want that, and then we want your protected 2021 pick, which will actually give us three picks in 2021, our own, the better one of Houston or Miami, and then your top 10 protected. Um, how, far are, are, how far off are we here? Honestly, I don't hate that deal, to be honest, just because keeping 21, I think, is something the Sixers should look to try to do just because, you know, there's interesting talent there in the draft that they could kind of draft right now that could benefit them. So to be able to keep 21 but still be able to move from Al Horford and that contract would be very enticing. And like you said, it's definitely going to be out of the top 10. And if Chris Paul pans the way that he should – I would gladly give up that first round pick in 2021 for to get Chris Paul here, his huge contract or not. So I mean, I I don't really object to that deal. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page there. I mean, this I mean this is a good draft for the Sixers going forward. It's not a lot of high talent, obviously, as matter, but there's a lot of dudes from 10 to 30 that fit exactly what the Sixers need. The guy that can shoot, dribble, create shots, and there's a lot of that, and it could really benefit the Sixers having this pick and just adding somebody to their roster now when they don't really have a lot of cap space and go out and sign a guy and just add somebody to their roster now and compete with Chris Paul and then give up a pick later in 2021 that will likely be in the 20s or 30s again. So, I mean, again, like Kevin said, I'm pretty – I don't hate it. I'm almost And with four second-round picks in this draft, you, you could live with parting one. They would be yeah, sold I mean, anyways. You, you could package a few of those other seconds yeah. and move up really high in the second round or something. So um, Trade NBA says that this trade is a success. Um, I hate the, the projected wins that it adds based off of like RPM and stuff, but it says that the Sixers would win an additional nine games adding Chris Paul for that that package. Uh, Nick, are we, are we pretty happy with this? Yeah, I think there's other offers out there that might be more enticing. There's going to be quite a few teams that at least ring the bell on Chris Paul. I don't know if they'll actually make a formal offer or, uh, you know, put forth something that Sam Presti actually takes a look into. But, um, if, if it's, if it's keep Chris Paul another season or take this deal, I think you definitely have to take this deal if you're Oklahoma city. Definitely. I think the ideal situation here is you take this deal. Um, the Thunder get hopefully like a top five. Their own pick is top five in 2021. Uh, maybe Houston ends up with like pick 18 and the Thunder get that pick. Let's say Philly ends up with pick 25, 26. All three of those. Can you package all three of those and move up from like pick number four in 2021 
to package for like 18 and 26 to get up to pick two or to pick one. And you go and you get your Kate Cunningham. Uh, you get I, I forget the kid's name. Is the last name Green? The one that's going yeah, to the G Jaylen League. Green. Yeah. Jalen Green. Um, you 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 go and get him. You you go and you find your star at the top of the 2021 draft. Um, I also think the Thunder have this history of I, I, the most recent example. The guy we're trading right now, Chris Paul, seen as an untradeable asset. You're going to have to add something to him to get him off the books. To one year later, uh, he's a commodity, and you're going to get something for him. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get a lot for Al Horford, but if Al Horford comes to Oklahoma City, plays well, uh, ends with leaves this season, two years left on his contract, um, is that a trade candidate for for somebody wanting to to make a push and get a stretch veteran big um, in the off season of 2021, and the Thunder can keep kicking this trade down down the yard a little bit and keep adding a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. You took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say that like the, the Chris Paul example is perfect. Like we look at this trade right now and it's, oh, you've got to take on the contract of Al Horford. And then once you bring him on the team, it's like he's he's a nobody. He's just a body. But if, if he plays well, and you can flip him next season, even if it's even if it's not a trade where you're getting back a high first round pick. If you could flip him for an expiring and pick number twenty eight to a contender that needs a stretch four, at that point, kind of like we've looked at the Serge Ibaka trade tree, you've went from Russell Westbrook to um, a high second rounder, three first rounders, some pick swaps, and then another first round. Like like I, I think Presty, that's how he looks at deals. He doesn't look at if the Thunder were to trade for Al Horford, he wouldn't be looking at what do we get for Al. He'd be looking at where did this originate from when it comes to Russell Westbrook and, and how did this trade pan out when it comes to the, the longer picture. Totally with you. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Nick obviously know this, knows this, but when you follow the Serge Ibaka trade uh, pretty linearly, linearly, it was Serge Ibaka to Orlando in 2016 for Oladipo and Sabonis. Oladipo and Sabonis for Paul George. Paul George for Gallo, Shea, six picks and two swaps. So they essentially traded Serge Ibaka for <laughs> Shea, Gallo, six picks and two swaps. Serge Ibaka, who is in the last year of his deal and is going to be a free agent. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, pretty soon you'll be able to do that with the Russell Westbrook trade as it becomes, you know, Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul and picks, and now Chris Paul is about to become whatever Sam Presti decides to do with him. I mean... Sam Presti is a wizard. I will say that. I I wish he was in my front office, but the dude knows how to win a trade. Oh yeah, it's uh, trust me, we count ourselves lucky. <laughs> um, okay, guys, let's shift gears a little bit here. So we have made a Chris Paul trade um, that we've all agreed on. Let's say, just for argument's sake, that the Thunder end up trading Chris to Milwaukee, and he is no longer available. But Philly still needs a point guard. Is there any interest on your end in at least discussing what a Dennis Schroeder to Philadelphia trade looks like? I think so. I think that's would be an interesting trade if you were to try and do a Josh Richardson to OKC type of deal. I think Schroeder would be the main guy that that's centered around. But I don't know. I guess it would all depend on how confident they are in Shake Milton being the starting point guard moving forward. But, I mean... To bring on a six-man caliber guy like Schroeder is, I think it's definitely something worth exploring. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, kind of like a lot of what Kevin said there. I mean, I really like what Schroeder did. I mean, this is probably his best season so far. I mean, he really kind of thrived off the bench for Oklahoma City in that six-man kind of spot. And, again, I think he kind of fits all what you need in a point guard. He scores, dribbles. I mean, we really are looking for the basics here in Philadelphia. If you could shoot a basketball, we would likely trade for you in some aspect. But, again, I would probably be kind of centered around a Josh Richardson type of deal. I think I agree with Kevin on that one. But, I mean, I like him. I mean, I don't know if it's a heavy step up from Shake Milton as much as Chris Paul is. So, I don't know how lenient I would be with assets. But I would definitely be interested. Nick, what do you think? I mean, considering he's in the final year of his deal coming up, so he's an expiring contract, even if he is the most glorious fit ever in Philadelphia, you're only going to get him for one year. So I think that limits what the Thunder are able to get from him in, in, in any situation, really. But Josh Richardson, he's a kid from Edmond, just outside of Oklahoma City. Um, I think the Thunder would like to bring him in, just knowing his... Uh, ability to play defense, he, he can score the ball uh, to a to a fairly high degree. Um, I don't know if Philly would give up a pick in this deal, just because in, in most deals for sure that we've discussed in the past, it's like an expiring guy that's not going to help much plus a pick. I think Richardson is actually a guy that could help, and, and he's still fairly young. I think he's 26. So I think a Dennis Schroeder, not to jump the gun here, Jacob, on what the trade would look like, but if it was a Schroeder for Richardson and Zaire Smith, who I would rather have pick 21 than Zaire Smith by by a mile, but if it was something like that, I think it makes sense for both sides, and Oklahoma City would be willing to take a flyer on Zaire. I think that's interesting. What, what about this? What if we did Dennis Schroeder... And we will toss another player into this deal. Um, a guy that I think Nick and I were high on, but had a lot of off-the-court problems this offseason, which I think really limited his play. Another young wing to kind of fill that Josh Richardson role. And Terrence Ferguson, only 22 years old, really a good defender. Struggled with his shot and his confidence a lot this year. But again, I think Nick and I would both say some of that comes from a lot of uh, off-the-court distractions. Um, he was in the middle of a custody battle, um, going back and forth between games and, and court dates and stuff, and, and had a, I think his grandmother passed away, maybe. I can't remember, Nick. Is that right? Did his grandma die? Uh, I do not remember. I don't want to put words out there that aren't true, but I want to say he lost a family member. Obviously, the custody battle. Uh, there was uh, some allegations that, that went to the DA that ended up being found like he, he was clear. But just a lot of off-the-court things that weren't really um, him getting in trouble, but more just life happened. Um, he's he's going into the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, you can probably retain him for really cheap, and he's a young guy that, that you can add to kind of that core. So what if we did like a Dennis Schroeder and Terrence Ferguson for Richardson, Zaire Smith, Mike Scott, and again, we throw that Atlanta second in there. That money lines up almost perfectly. It's 19 million to 19.4 million. Uh, so neither side is really trimming a lot of, of salary here. It's almost a straight salary swap. Uh, and then the, the big asset the Thunder bring back is that second round pick. And then they get to take the flyer on 21 year old Zaire Smith. I would say I'm a little indifferent about that. Uh, I love Schroeder. I don't know how I feel about Ferguson, just for the sheer fact of one key area that the Sixers need to address, whether it's in the draft or trades, is perimeter shooting. And like you said, last season, 
Ferguson shot 29% on three attempts a game. Granted, the year before, it was 36% on close to four attempts a game, so clearly something's there, but his regression in shooting concerns me as the Sixers need to work on filling their bench with more shooting as opposed to continually crippling themselves with a lack of perimeter shooting. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I kind of would go along with that. Like we said, we need shooting a lot here in Philadelphia, and Ferguson obviously doesn't help much with that. And with Schroeder, you don't know how that mesh would fit. I mean, obviously, you see Chris Paul, it's a lot. You would think it's a lot more cleaner than what Schroeder would bring to the table. And it, with, like you said, his contract's going up next year. I mean, so is Richardson's. I mean, he's a player option, but he's very likely to decline that. But I just don't think it really moves things that much in Philadelphia. I mean, I like what Dennis Schroeder does, but for what you're moving, I don't know if I would do it. I think you might find better options out there in finding a point guard. I'm I'm with you guys. I I think for the Philadelphia side of things, that would not be the greatest deal. I think for the assets you're giving up, whether it's in a singular deal or a couple of deals, those guys should definitely net you more. And kind of like you guys had mentioned, some guys on the Sixers that um, need a new place to blossom, need a new place to kind of get back on track for what their NBA career was supposed to be. It's hard to sell those kind of guys. Like, like you've, you've watched them play, you know, they've got talent, but it's just not working here. That's a really hard sell. And that's where Terrence Ferguson is. I, I don't even know if Terrence Ferguson would net you a second round pick right now. See, I think to me, I see Ferguson a lot like the Jeremy Lamb deal in Oklahoma city where they swapped him for uh, a late second or a mid mid second round pick and Jeremy Lane ended up playing really well and and Charlotte moved on to Indiana. I kind of see a little bit of that in Terrence Ferguson. Kind kind of that type of role playing out. Um so yeah, but no, I I agree. I think you know, Philly's probably looking to get a little bit more for those guys. I think the Thunder probably want an asset rather than just a straight salary swap for Schroeder. So I don't know if there's as natural of a fit there. Um, the other vet that the Thunder have that I just I don't see a fit on this trade uh, with, with Philly. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I think the Thunder are going to look to sign and trade Danilo Gallinari. We already talked about the amount of, of big wings, of, of stretch fours that Philly has. I don't think there's much of a fit there. Do you guys agree? Yeah, uh, that was the first thing I was going to lead off with. I think Gallo would be a great fit just because of how just knocked down of a shooter he was this year. But the two main things are, like you said, that, that log jam in that stretch four role. And if you really want to grow Tobias Harris, you can't bring in a guy like Gallinari. And I think it would be tough to make the money work just because I feel like with a weak free agency class, a guy like Danilo Gallinari might get a decent payday this winter whenever the offseason decides to happen. So I think money-wise and fit-wise would be a very tough sell to get a guy like Gallo here. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Gallo. I think he's a great player. He's I think he's really underrated around a lot of the NBA. But kind of like Kevin said, be a very clunky fit with where he is with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and all the other wings, and you really need a point guard. All of your funds, assets need to go towards the guard position, get that figured out before you make these other moves. So until a guard situated, I really wouldn't think about a guy like Gallinari. Yeah, I think that's fair. And Nick and I actually went through the entire list of all NBA teams evaluating Gallo sign-in trades, 
And Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we said that we just didn't see the fit there in Philly um, because of salary matching, uh, et cetera. Is that right? Yep. Doesn't make a lot of sense whatsoever. Yep. As good as he is, that's just how it is. Okay, guys. Well, before we hop off of here, we've been going for about 53 minutes, so i got a few minutes left. I've got to ask you all, will you indulge me in trying to formulate a Ben Simmons to Oklahoma City trade? Oh, um, can can we just kick the can and see what happens? <laughs> Kevin, uh, Kevin is that Ben Simmons is his child. So good luck trying to yeah, negotiate I, with Kevin. I am a Ben Simmons defender to the core. I am so high on him. I think his his prime is so underrated right now, and what he has the potential to become. But I mean, with the kind of assets that OKC has. I think it's interesting. I mean, for starters, I, I need SGA back. If I'm trading a guy like Ben Simmons who could be phenomenal first team at his apex, I'm going to need a young stud in return like SGA. Uh, after that, I mean, two to three first-round picks maybe, and then maybe you know one small player on the end, whether it's like a Darius Baisley or a Terrence Ferguson. Obviously, with to get more of that, you might have to throw a pick in return on the Philly side. But SGA, multiple first-round picks, and maybe another player that can play right now to get 2-5 out of Philadelphia. We may not be able to play this back on the actual podcast now because Thunder fans, when they hear all those names you just said that have to come in return for Ben Simmons, they might set the world on fire. (laughs) Baisley and SGA are two guys that 99% of Thunder fans would say, I don't care who you're offering in a trade, we're not giving those guys up. Definitely. I was um, I was gonna float the idea out there. Um, just let me run for run with it for a second, and then you can tell me to shut the hell up and and hang up the the podcast call. That's totally okay. Um, like a Chris Paul, Darius Baisley, will throw in the our own twenty twenty one first. We'll throw in. The I'm I'm looking I'm looking the 2024 Clippers first. We'll throw in the 2024 Houston first. So that's three firsts. Uh, we will give you the. Where's the other Houston pick? The 2026 Houston pick. That's four picks. Chris and Baisley. I Nick, am I throwing anything else in there? I don't think you can throw much more in there. Okay, so four first-round picks, all kicking the can down the road a little bit. Chris Paul, Darius Baisley, you send us back Ben Simmons. No deal. <laughs> okay. My, do, I'm fair enough. Bit, you do I'm realize little, that Ben Simmons is a decade younger than Chris Paul, right? Yes, that's insane. <laughs> As well. the, the, know, the, I, the issue with this with this hypothetical trade of, of Chris Paul and whatever else you want to throw out there it, it could be it could be eight picks like I, I just don't think Philadelphia is willing to make a pick like that because your contention window mm-hmm. slims down to about two years because once Chris is done that team is done and it's initial it's immediately all right now we rebuild with these picks and I don't think Philadelphia is willing to say, We'll give it two more years, and then it's time to tear it down again. I'm, I have an idea to get a little crazy. I don't know how the salaries work here, but 
I am I'm very high on SGA. He's one of my favorite players in the league, so I'm much easier to trade with. I had an idea of kind of combining Kevin's trade idea and then the Horford-Chris Paul trade idea in which we would send... Chris or we would send Al Horford, Ben Simmons, and whatever salary if we needed to on our end for Chris Paul, say Shea Gilders Alexander, salary matches and draft capital. I think I mean it would probably be a no, couple picks you. there. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that's something I might be interested in. Mm, I I think I think both Ben and Shea have extremely high ceilings. I think it. I think it makes sense for both sides. Like I think both sides would fare well. Philly's getting off that Horford contract that just doesn't work out. Oklahoma City is getting off of of Chris Paul to to allow some of their other young guys to start to blossom. But just because of the way the NBA is trending, I, I, I'm not saying Shea Gilgeous Alexander will be a better player than Ben Simmons, but three years from now, I would almost rather have Shea just because if Ben can't shoot. His ceiling drops quite a bit. That is, I would, I would also say to add to that, two things on that front. I think if you're swapping any of these players, the goal should be to have Ben and Shea on the same team, uh, instead of trading them for each other. And from the Thunder's perspective, as a small market team, the Thunder and and Nick might actually even disagree with me a little bit on this, but for the Thunder, their goal is to explicitly to build through the draft, right? That's what they've done their entire existence. That's the only way they can build a team in Oklahoma City. They're not a free agent destination. They can build a team through draft picks uh, and through trades. And if for the Thunder, it came down to, if you could even make it just a straight shave for Ben swap, even though Ben probably ends up over the lifetime of their NBA careers being a better player, Ben is under contract for five more years. Shea is under contract for two more years and then a restricted free agent where they will offer him a five-year deal. So the Thunder actually have two more years of control on Shea. And I think for a small market team uh, who has to build a team in that way because you're going to lose guys in free agency because of the small market, you're going to lack the ability to be able to draw big free agents to your market. I think having that guy on his rookie scale deal uh, is a lot more valuable to them. I know Ben is just now going into his first big NBA deal, but I, I, I think having that guy with a little more team control on those years on the on the contract, I think is massive for a small market team. And, and to piggyback on that, I think it's easier take take every other player off of the Thunder. It's a lot easier to build around seven years of Shea and all these draft picks than five years of Ben and likely a lot less or a lot fewer draft picks considering you have to give some up to get Ben. So I think seven years of Shea and a bunch of picks is a lot easier to build around than Ben Simmons and a handful of picks. I agree to that. And just the sense of, you know, like you said, Sam Presti spent all this time collecting so many first round picks. I, I don't understand from an OKC standpoint, from looking at their rebuild and in terms of when they want to contend, why they'd want to bring on a guy like Ben Simmons, who's 24, you know, his game is getting ready to hit its prime, but you know, their assets don't kick in until down the line. So really you wouldn't have a suitable team to build around Ben until by the time he's closing in on his decline. 
So I agree. Having the extended years of Shea definitely makes more sense in terms of the rebuild and how the team plans to go about doing it as opposed to flipping him for a guy like Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. I, I think the Thunder, uh, Nick and I talk about this all the time. They The most likely scenario for the Thunder to, is to trade these picks in a package to get better draft picks. Like that, that is how they're going to build the next great Thunder team. Uh, if if you ask a lot of people who cover this team, the the going thought right now is that the next great Thunder player, a, a lot of people think Shea is probably more of your second option, but the next great Thunder player is probably getting ready to play high school basketball right now. He's he's a sophomore, he's a junior, he's maybe even a freshman in high school. Uh, and that is the new, the next guy that they will build around. It's not somebody that's currently in the league. Are you saying the Thunder plan to build around LeBron James Jr.? Is that what you're saying? Hey, get me LeBron James Jr., get me Zaire Wade, uh, get me Imani Bates. We, we can make it work. <laughs> I've been really enamored with the idea. Kate Cunningham, he's an Oklahoma guy, right? Like, he's from, because he's committed to Oklahoma State. Isn't he from Oklahoma? No, Nick, where's Cade from? Cade's actually, I think he transferred to a prep school, but he's from Arlington, Texas. Okay, kind of close. I've been very, because of that connection, I kind of thought it was interesting maybe seeing him land in Oklahoma State. I'm very a big fan of the draft capital that the Thunder have acquired. I mean, honestly, when I saw the trade for Paul George LA, I didn't even think about the duo of Kawhi and Paul George. I just thought immediately about all the draft capital that the Thunder were getting. I was, it's really something you haven't seen since the Sixers process years, that many draft picks. And I'm, yeah, I'm we, very we've been comparing it. it a lot to, um, and it remains to be seen how bad the Clippers are going to be. If they'll be bad at all in three, four, five, six years down the line from now, but it feels eerily similar to the Boston-Brooklyn deal. Yeah, uh, the, I was just thinking that. It, feel, it feels very similar to that in that the Thunder already have young guys that they mm-hmm. can build around. Um, I think we all feel like Shea is kind of like your Jalen Brown, and you've got to go find your Jason Tatum now. I think it's a fair comparison. I, can see that. I think that's kind of on the right lines, I would assume. Yeah, so. No, we, we are pretty excited here in Oklahoma City about all the draft capital coming in, all the possibilities, and having a really good drafting GM yeah. in Sam Presti. Every GM misses on the draft a little bit, but very few draft three Hall of Famers in back-to-back-to-back years. Uh, so we are hoping that Presti is able to replicate that. I mean, hey, with, go get us the next Russ, KD, and James Harden, and we'll be happy. With all those picks, I mean, OKC could realistically rebuild three times over with all the capital they're going to have by the start yes. of next season. So, I mean, they, as far as as rebuilds go, they're in a pretty good place. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, so we've talked through a handful of trades, and it seems like the one that we've we've all kind of settled on is that Chris Paul uh, for Al Horford and salary filler, including Zaire Smith. Uh, the Thunder would also get the 2021 Philly pick and the 2020 Atlanta second round pick. Are we all pretty happy with that? We all okay with that deal? Yeah, I I love that deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of. I like it. I think it's keeping that 2020 draft pick from Oklahoma City, still holding on to that, and getting Chris Paul is pretty pretty good return for the Sixers. Who do you guys hope they draft at that pick? Josh Green out of Arizona. There's a couple names. I'm really not sold on one exact person. Really, there's a handful of names. I mean, Terry out of Sanford, Grant Roller is a guy I like. There's so many guards that can fit what the Sixers need. So I'm really, whatever they go with, I think they really cannot miss. As as long as they don't draft a center, I think they're fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you've already watched uh, Mike Schmidt's of ESPN's uh, video breakdown with Tyrell Terry that he posted yesterday. But go watch that, and you'll be convinced that Tyrell Terry's like the next Trey Young. Young. Yeah, it, it uh, it'll fire you up. Nick and I have had this conversation <laughs> a lot. So, well, Kevin, Nick, or well, I guess Nick as well. Kevin, Jack, and Nick, thank you guys so much for jumping on. Uh, this was a blast. I had a good time. Hopefully, our listeners will enjoy it as well. Again, like we said at the top of the show, I think these are two teams that are kind of natural trade partners, and I would expect even if it doesn't leak to the media, that we hear that they have maybe discussed a Chris Paul trade. If it leaks to the media, obviously, but even if it doesn't, I would be shocked if Chris Paul to Philly isn't something that was talked about over the league hiatus and being talked about right now. Absolutely. So, yeah, make sure that you guys go check out Kevin and Jack's podcast, it's called Process to Progress. A great, great Philly content. Also, check out Sports Talk Philly and the Liberty Line to check out all their work as well. Gentlemen, again, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank no you problem, for man. Thanks me. for having Definitely. And if this is your first time listening to the Uncontested or you've listened a thousand times, man, we appreciate the hell out of you. Please drop a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back with you again with our normal Monday morning episode. You guys have a great rest of your week. Please wash your hands, wear your mask. Stay safe out there. We will talk to you soon uh, after watching this game, Lakers and four. See you guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.